When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 220, and we are recording on February 25th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. I don't know why I sang that. felt the need. I like it, though. There are flowers on the tree outside of my window. I'm feeling oh. very springtime. I listened to some Vivaldi this morning. That's not true. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. I was going to say. Nope. I didn't. I mean, now maybe I should. I feel yeah. Like I should. I'm feeling very springy. Want to eat some peas? Mm. Springtime food is, I think, my favorite food, which I think is a little weird. Like, I love asparagus and new peas and strawberries. I love all those things, yeah. so I'm not going to argue with you. Yeah. Springtime food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my story. Welcome to Get Booked, guys. <laughs> um, so, how the show works. As I said, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you would like a recommendation or you have a request for one, you can send it to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop it in the form on the bottom of the show notes on the site. Um, If your question is time sensitive, like, you know, I'm traveling to France in the summer and I would like a book about France or something like that where it has a time limit, please put that in the subject line of your email. If you're using the form, just put it in big capital letters in the first line so we will get to it on time. We might email you back if we're not going to get to it on time or if we've already answered your question in another episode. So that is why we ask for your email address. Okay, we don't have any feedback this go round. So shall we just mosey? Let's mosey. You're going to read our first question. It's long. It is long. I will try to make it concise. It is from Brittany, who says, I'm temporarily relocating for work to a place I've never been where I don't know anyone and need a good rec to help with the transition. I'm looking for an epic saga in which to get lost. I want multiple books, huge stakes, big cohesive story. The problem I often run into is I am let down by the ending. If I'm going to miss this, invest this much time and energy into a book, I want it to be worth it. I want to miss the characters when they're gone. Uh, lean towards fantasy as long as the ending is realistic and satisfying. Prefer some sort of magic or mystic component or creature. I read a lot of YA, but that's not a must. Adult themes okay as long as it's not too graphic. I get bored with intricate battle sequences and too much imagery. What I care about are character-driven, relationship-driven stories, and then. Brittany lists a bunch of series that did enjoy and then didn't enjoy. So that is that is a big one. <laughs> but before we give our Rex, let us hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, long after we are gone by Tara Shelton Harris, 
is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Okay, this is hard, Amanda. Mm-hmm. What did you come up with? Okay, I actually just read this uh, for the first book in this series. So, like, the timing was nice. I picked it up. It had actually been in my TBR forever, and so I thought it might fit, so I picked it up to read it. And that is The Red Abbey Chronicles by Maria Turchshaninoff. This is translated from Finnish, the author's from Finland, but it, there's no information about the translator that I can find anywhere, including in the book. So, like, I don't know. I'm sorry if you have translated this book and you were out there listening to this show. Please email me so I can put your name in the show notes. I will give a trigger warning for this series for rape and gender-based violence. So this felt to me very much like kind of Graceling meets The Queen's Thief, which was which were two series that said, you said that you really liked. Um, it, it takes place in the Red Abbey, which is an like a religious abbey where a bunch of nuns and novices live. Um, the religion that they're practicing is a is a like divine feminine um, maiden mother crone religion. And they live on an island off the coast of this like kind of unnamed country or series of countries. And they take in girls who are coming who are oppressed runaways who have been oppressed because they're girls um or who have been you know victims of gender-based violence um or assault and they take them in and teach them you know their religious practices they teach them how to read how to cook how to have skills and then they send them out back into the world to spread knowledge and justice and like skills and etc social justice lady factory is what i was calling it in my head when i read it which like sounds really show title i know so men are not allowed on this island unless they're coming in um to like trade um or bring goods or services or if they you know are shipwrecked or something it's very themiscara like the amazons in that kind of way they're not even supposed to really be able to find it and so the main character is a novice in this, I don't know, Marisi is her name, and that's also the title of the first book. Um, she's a novice, and she's kind of older. She's not been called to serve in any of the particular houses that exist, which is a little strange because usually you get called up to, like, be a cook or serve in the house of the maiden or serve in the house of the mother or whatever, and she's not had any of that. She really just likes to, like, spend time in the library reading books uh, by herself, which, like, same, so relatable. Um, and then a new girl shows up. Her name is Jai. And she is also older and is coming with like a really dark past. 
And then um, when you find out about her past, it kind of follows her to the island. And then the women and girls have to defend themselves from, from you know, I mean, like, it's not, it's pretty obvious that it's men from the men who come to get her. Um, and the fantas- they're like fantasaical or religious elements of this are not metaphorical. Like there, there are actual, these three like factors of the goddess exist and show their powers and like function on this island. Um, so there's a lot of like, Lady Flexen, it's just real great. It's just great. Like so, the supernatural elements are there, and in the the same way that like in the Graceling, people are born with particular alignments to particular skills. The same is really true in this book. And the thing that reminded me of the Queen's Thief here is that the Queen's Thief has it has world building. Um, like you know the names of the countries, and you know how the gods kind of operate in that system. And the same is true here. But it's very much a character driven series, the Queen's Thief, and so is this. Like you're not going to spend lots of time reading about you know, religious systems or, or, you know, agricultural systems or whatever, like you pick it up as you're going, but this is really a book about these girls and their um, kind of coming of age. So that's The Red Abbey Chronicles by Maria Turchadanoff. I went with a standby because it's hard to meet all these points and to nail down. Like you seem to enjoy more medieval, but the series I'm recommending is an urban fantasy, but it has a lot of elements of like, you know, it's definitely character driven. It's got things in common with the Lunar Chronicles, which you mentioned and Graceling. It is the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews. I know I've talked about it before, but I think it will work for you. It is 10 books long and each book is three to 500 pages, I want to say. So it is like an epic saga. It is actually a series that I think gets better as it goes along. So some people read the first book and they're like, eh, this is not for me. But I swear to you, it is... I actually really liked the first book, but it's by no means the best book in the series. Because what this series does is it takes the main character, Kate Daniels, who lives in a post-catastrophe world where magic has returned to the world and, like, sometimes phones don't work because the magic is up. And then sometimes magic doesn't work and the phones do work. And so, like, <laughs> I can't decide which I would prefer. <laughs> exactly, right? So you go back and forth between magic working and not working, which means everyone has had to adapt to this kind of changing landscape. And there are were creatures and witches and druids and oracles and all kinds of things going on. And Kate is a very loner type heroine. She was raised by a soldier as a mercenary. And she was like put through a lot of like kind of gruesome training as a kid and is, you know, a sword wielding badass who has a big secret about why she has the magic that she has. And she is so alone in the first book. It's like kind of heartbreaking. And then as the books go along, she starts to like make connections and to understand that she is not cursed to a life of aloneness, that she can have friends and family and real ties to people and not put them in danger that she deserves more. Like, I just have a lot of feelings about Kate Daniels' personal arc through this series. And then there's also, like, amazing, epic, you know, battles for the fate of the world kind of thing going on. And I will say that there, you said you didn't like intricate battle sequences. There are a decent amount of battle sequences in this because Kate, like I said, is a sword-wielding badass and there's big stakes. But I think the thing that I liked about those action sequences is that they're very much about how Kate feels as she's moving through these moments. Like, it's less about, like, troop movements and more about, like, how am I going to come out of this alive? So, and also, like, you can always skim those bits. But the character bits in this are so good. They're so satisfying. So, yeah, if you need to burn 
burn through an epic saga, I feel like this is one that will do that for you. So again, that's the Kate Daniels series by Alona Andrews. It is done. It's 10 books. It's finished. Mm-hmm. There's actually a spinoff series as well, if you want more after that. And uh, the first book is Magic Bites. Okay, our next question is from Jennifer, who says, I work closely with the grade six English teachers in our school. We do a lit circle at the end of the year, and we're wanting to give the students a choice of books. We're wanting to do a theme around refugees or being displaced. So far, we have refugee and a long walk to water. It might even be great to have any books about First Nations. We are a school in Vancouver, Canada. Okay, I picked Inside Out and Back Again by Tan Lai, which is not in Canada. It's mostly in Alabama, which is maybe like the opposite of Canada, kind of. Literally the opposite. It's on the very... Anyway, that's a tangent. Um, so I was doing like geographical opposite ends of a consonant. It doesn't matter. So this is a Newbery Award winner. Or no, nominee. And a National Book Award winner. And it's a novel in verse. So it's about a girl named Ha who is 10 and she lives in Saigon. And this is historical fiction. So it takes place during the Vietnam War. Um, and she has lived with her family in Saigon their whole life. Her father is gone off um, fighting in the conflicts. And her and her mother and her brother um, are forced to leave as Saigon falls in the, during the war. So they get on a ship, um, that like a refugee ship that's supposed to take them. I don't remember if their destination is Canada or the U.S., but... Um, they have some trouble aboard ship, like the the ship runs out of gas and they are kind of stuck floundering and they get rescued um, and they become refugees in America and her and her family end up being placed with a family in Alabama. Um, no member of her family speaks English and they are very much thrown into this um, community where they're in school where they have to, you know, attend, not understanding anyone, having no friends, obviously. Um, their mother has to find work and they are living in the home of this couple in Alabama in the, you know, 70s, um, late late 60s, early 70s. Um, and her life <laughs> becomes very, you know, like up at completely upended. And it's it's the big stuff. Obviously, she doesn't speak the language. She doesn't know anyone. She's away from her extended family, all of that. But also the little things like she's not she can't get any of the food that she's used to. There's no Vietnamese market in this tiny Alabama town in the 70s in the middle of a conflict where people aren't really friendly to people from Vietnam. Um, and she can't, you know, like the, the the radio station she's used to listening to don't exist anymore. And what what is that like? like? And this is very much based on the author's lived experience. So there's a lot of kind of autobiographical elements weaved into it. And I think the fact that it's written in verse makes it um, a great pick for a group read because um, it is both. It can be both like really ac- accessible, like you know, it's it's not a lot of print. The type is really big. You can get through it pretty quickly if you're a person for whom reading doesn't come easy. But the verse format is novel enough that more advanced readers can find it kind of like fun and interesting. So that's Inside Out and Back Again by Tan Halai. I well, first of all, we have a post that is middle grade books about the immigrant experience, and I'm going to leave that in the show notes for you um, from 2018. So obviously, there's new ones, but it's a good starting point. And then I picked The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demeline because, first of all, I know this is on some school curriculums in Canada um, and potentially the U.S., but for sure Canada. And she is a First Nations author, and it is. It's a little tricky because it takes it takes place in a near future and there are some mystical elements, so it's not strict realism. And I'm not sure. I mean, most of the books you named are that, but it deals with the genocide of indigenous populations in North America and also the residential schools. And so I, it references these very real world problems that you're probably already teaching. So it seems to me a good uh, tie-in to those things. 
This book also has a mention of rape and sexual assault and then medical experimentation because the plot is in this sort of near future world where global warming has changed the landscape and, you know, infrastructure is under threat. A lot of people have lost the ability to dream. And if you don't dream, you go mad. And the only people still able to dream regularly are the indigenous people of North America. And scientists have figured out that if you extract their marrow and like put it in other people, then other people can have the dreams. But extracting that means death for the donors. So they are being rounded up by, you know, the powers that be for unwilling medical experimentation, which is Pretty grim, right? Obviously pretty grim. Um, and the story follows a 15-year-old uh, when he and his family are forced out of their home, and then he ends up on the run and has to figure out like how he's going to survive and dodge these quote-unquote recruiters and make it through. I've just started it. It's a really conversational style. You're in the main character's head. So you're getting, you know, his perspective on what's going on around him. It's very accessible, I think. And it is very intense. Like there's a lot of weight, obviously, to this story and to the history that Dimmeline is, uh, you know, utilizing here in this very interesting way. Um, I'm not done yet, but all of the research I did points to a really interesting progression. And I think it would be a really good discussion piece for the teachers and students. So again, that's The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Dimeline. Okay. The next question is from Elizabeth, who says, I'm a little stumped about the Read Harder Challenge, Read a Horror Book Published by an Indie Press task. I have a very low tolerance for scary material, and I don't have as many reviews to go by as horror books published by mainstream presses. Uh, some books I have joy- enjoyed in the pseudo-horror genre are The Picture of Dorian Gray, Books and Stories by Neil Gaiman, and Misery by Stephen King. I'm just going to keep talking. I... I picked for you The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix, which is from Quirk, who are a great independent publisher. And Grady Hendrix writes these hilarious and, like, creepy, spooky, dare I say spoopy, uh, novels <laughs> where they all have, you know, they're supernatural thrillers, but they've got a huge dose of humor and are just really enjoyable. And this is his newest. It's on my TBR. It is, as you might guess from the title, about a book club in the 90s, like in the 1990s in suburbia, who figure out that they have to protect their community from like a mysterious, handsome stranger who turns out to be a vampire. And I am just dying at the thought of like, you know, the like 30 to 40, 50 something moms book club where mostly you get together to drink wine, but then you figure out that the thing you have to do is slay vampires. Like, come on now, this is amazing. Um, And this book club reads true crime and suspense fiction, which is super interesting. Like, I love that twist. And so, yeah, I'm real excited to get to this one. And Grady Hendrix, like, is just a go-to if you want fun, but still, you know, spooky, fast-moving horror. So I think I think this is your jam because it's definitely my jam and I have similar reservations to you. So again, that's the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. Okay, I just want to say you should give yourself a little bit more credit because if you can read Misery... Oh, yeah. Like, misery is not pseudo-horror. Misery is 
horrifying. <laughs> like, I don't think there's any question um, that that is just a straight up uh, horror novel. So I picked North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrid, which is from Small Beer Press and came out in 2013. Um, it was up for a lot of awards. It was nominated for the Bram Stoker Award and it had a World Fantasy nomination. Um, and I'm pretty sure he won a Shirley Jackson for one of the stories in it. Um, but this is a collection of short stories. And that's why I picked this because if you are like, ooh, squicky about certain parts of horror but not others you can pretty quickly figure out which ones in this collection are going to be a no-go for you and then just get past them because nobody at the read harder challenge is checking your work like you say you read it and we're like cool have your prize like nobody cares so um yeah the i love this this collection so much because it's um it's a bit it has a lot of noir elements and a lot of it takes place in rural communities um and in the south which i'm always a sucker for it has the best werewolf story i have ever read in my life and i've read a lot of werewolf stories but i don't know why but that's just how my reading life is shaked out it's not on purpose i don't like a thing for werewolf um but (laughs) it just like it's so terrifying and it does that great thing that so much of horror does especially in the movies where like the scary part is that you don't see the monster that often which is another vote i think for it in the the column of like uh, horror kind of freaks me out and i'm not that into it um is that like you're not you're not staring at the scary thing and like the gory scary thing the whole time. It's very much built on suspense and psychological manipulation and like unreliable narrators. And is that a zombie or is that a lady who's just really depressed who's being kidnapped by her husband? Like it's a legitimate question you you, you aren't given an answer to. Um, and he does that in a lot of these stories where, you know, in the same way that a lot of horror is about how like humanity is the real monster. That's very much what this collection is about. And he's he's only kind of monsterifying a lot of the characters here to give you um to to like make that point really strongly so some of them are are more openly gory than others some of them are more openly creepy um than others but you can take the stories that work for you and then like leave the ones that don't but read the werewolf one because it's like so good it's so good Ah. okay so that's north american lake monsters by nathan ballingood all right our next question is from Amanda, who says, I'm looking for more books like Sarah McLean's Bare Knuckle Bastards series. I love the first two books and I'm excited for the third. I also really love Kiss of Steel by Beck McMaster. I'm looking for a historical romance or historical fantasy featuring criminals, preferably with accents. I'd prefer something with an HFA or HFA. Lord, is that that's like a home loan? An H-E-A, <laughs> an H-E-A slash H-F-N ending. Because when the world is a scary dumpster fire, it's nice to know in advance that things will work out okay in a book um by the way your podcast has made me willing to try romance again after my first encounter was not ideal um yeah that's good to hear okay i'm gonna keep going i picked ava lee's london underground series for you the first book in the series is from duke till dawn and these are historical romance novels so they all have happy endings and the regencies um and they all have criminals except all the criminals are ladies lady criminals uh so (laughs) i love it so much it's so great so in from duke till dawn the heroine is a con artist who is in who has a um one of her like marks she actually develops feelings for and like flees in the night so she doesn't have to like you know I don't wrap him up in her arms and bring him down into her terrible world of darkness or whatever, you know, stuff she tells herself. And then she encounters him later, like several years later. And he's been pining for her this whole time because he doesn't know who she really is. And she's like, oh, this is not good Uh, because she still has feelings for him. But she's also still like super a con artist. So how how to reconcile? Um, And then in the the further books in the series, one is about a smuggler. Um, My favorite one is Dare to Love a Duke, which is about a, a madam who owns like a sex club. 
that one's amazing. They're all amazing, to be honest. Uh, I mean, they they all have accents because it's the UK, but I don't know. I mean, unless you listen to them on audio, I don't know if that's really going to matter. Although in From Duke Till Dawn, when the con artist is like pretending to be down and out, she does have a more like Cockney kind of accent on the page. So that's interesting. Anyway, they're just like super fun. And I love that trope of like a criminal with a heart of gold being turned on its head and having the criminals all be the, the heroine. Um, so that's the London Underground series by Ava Lee. I'm going to have to read those. Oh, they're so I'm much just, fun. Just <laughs> note to self. <laughs> they're so much fun. That sounds great. I picked Captured by Beverly Jenkins, which is her pirate historical romance set during the Revolutionary War in America. Amazing. Beverly Jenkins forever. This has trigger warnings for violence related to slavery, including a reference to forced breeding. But it's pretty... It's it's very much a romance, and um, it doesn't skate over the violence, but it doesn't, like, do a lot of depicting of the really horrible violence of slavery. So it's a good balance, I think, um, especially if you're looking for a lighter read. And this book is technically the third in a series, but it's actually a prequel for the other books, so you're fine. And it does have an accent, the hero, who is a French pirate. It, the The accent isn't on the page, but you should definitely imagine his French accent, for <laughs> sure. So he is the black son of a duke and that duke's um, freed slave who he, like, kind of married? Not exactly. Anyway, that's who he is. And he has been, like, cheated out of his inter- inheritance by his terrible half-brother. Surprise, surprise. And so he and his half-brother was planning on, like, the the father had freed all of the slaves on his plantation, like, years ago. And then kept them employed and paid them in wages. And when the father dies, um, the brother, Edward, was like, oh, I'm just going to pretend that that didn't happen. And, you know, take over this plantation and all of the things I will do all of the terrible things. And so Dominic was like, nope, I'm going to become a pirate, save all of these people, take them to an island off of Cuba, and like, now I'll just rob ships for fun. Like, that's what (laughs) I'm going to do with my life. So he's doing that. And when he meets Claire, he attacks a ship that is, you know, running the Middle Passage from England to America to get, like, you know, the gold or whatever it's carrying. And Claire is on the ship uh, as a passenger with her um, owner, wealthy mistress owner, who's terrible. And Dominic sees her and is like, who is this beautiful woman? Also, slavery is the worst. I'm going to, like, quote-unquote, abduct her and set her free. And so he, like, takes her, and she's like, oh, God, this is terrible. I have been kidnapped by a pirate. Like... (laughs) All of the bad things are going to happen to me. And he's like, no, no, like, it's cool. You're really pretty and I would like to sleep with you. But, like, we don't have to do that. Also, you can be free. And she's like, no, I have to go back to Atlanta because she has two kids who have been sold and are on a different plantation. But she does get to see them from time to time. And she's like, I can't leave my kids. And so in the meantime, they develop a relationship while trying to figure out, like, how they're going to go back. Because he's like, I can't can't return you to slavery. Like, that's terrible. So they're trying to figure out. Like, what are their options here? And it is such a lovely story. It is so, ugh, these characters, like my heart. And the island that they go to, like, in on their, when they prep, you know, their rescue mission is so beautifully vivid. And it's so cool to see Claire, like, get to see a world outside of what she has known 
And I there's some really interesting side characters in here too. Like there's a there's an amazing abolitionist lesbian couple that shows up at one point that I'm just like I need to hear more about this. Like, tell me more about some of these side characters. Also, some of the other couples on the island. Like, I'm dying for basically stories about every side character in this book. But the main the main couple is just fantastic. And Dominic is absolutely a pirate with a heart of gold. And the ending is so satisfying. So again, that's captured by Beverly Jenkins. And it is time for our next sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life and then he meets Irena in 95 and she's like the best she's brilliant charismatic quick-witted funny they fall in love but the thing is she's number six so if he is to have seven great loves does that mean his time with Irena is going to come to an end so this is a love letter to western pop culture eastern traditions and being a first generation new yorker make sure to check it out and thanks again to flat iron books publisher of 888 love and the divine burden of numbers by abraham chang for sponsoring this episode <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal. Join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so our next question is from Charlene, who says, My four-year-old just finished his first chapter book, listening, that is, not reading. Uh, let's see. And then, this is a very long question. I'm going to sort of sum up on the fly. Up till now, we've been reading nothing but picture books, and I really didn't think he'd have the patience to sit and listen, or the attention span to keep coming back day after day to chapter books, but he proved me wrong. He's now super excited about chapter books, but I have no idea where to go next from Roald Dahl. Uh, I'm looking for, let's see, chapter books that are exciting and imaginative and also appropriate for a preschooler. I'd love something published in the last 25 to 30 years. <laughs> and I have no clue what Kidlet has been doing since I was one. Uh, he turns five at the beginning of April, and I'd love to start gifting him his very own big kid books. Amanda, what did you pick? 
I picked um, a series called Sam Wu is Not Afraid. It's by Katie and Kevin Sang and illustrated by Nathan Reed. There are five books in the series at this point, so plenty to give him. And every book is about a new thing that Sam Wu is not afraid of. So the first one is Sam Wu is Not Afraid of Ghosts. There's one about like sharks, spiders, zombies. (laughs) Uh, The sharks one is my favorite because of course it is. And these are just adorable. Sam Wu is something has happened in his life that has made him a bit of a scaredy cat. So he, you know, spooks very easily, but he doesn't want to stay that way. So he sets out on this like mission to prove to people that he is brave and that he is not afraid of, you know, ghosts, spiders, zombies, sharks, etc. Um, even though any reasonable person would be afraid of sharks. Any reasonable person. <laughs> um, so Sam uh, enlists the help of like his friends, his best friends, and his grandma, which is like she's a great character. She'll say stuff like, of course, ghosts are real, Sam. And then she'll just like wander off and take a nap and leave him with that to like just go <laughs> consider the implications of what that might mean. Um, all of the books are a little bit madcap. There's an adventure. And the first one, um, he's at the Space Museum. And um, he's also trying to like brave his sister's cat, whose name is Butterbutt and is like terrifying um, and very like violent. So it's just this this boy having all of these various and sundry adventures to try to teach himself to overcome his fears. And why I think this is a great pick for an early reader, like a four-year-old, if, if you're reading to them and not expecting them to like read it themselves, um, is that it is fun and fast-paced and has enough going on to keep a four-year-old's attention, but it's also got really great illustration, so there's a lot to look at. So it makes a great transition book from picture books to chapter books. And the print is pretty big, um, and it's like not intimidating. So if he does, you know, turn five and decide that he wants to read these on his own, on his own I think it'd be perfectly fine and like perfectly appropriate. So that Sam Wu is Not Afraid of Ghosts by Katie and Kevin Sang. I picked The Last Last Day of Summer by Lamar Giles with illustrations by Dapo Adiola. This is, I have read other Lamar Giles books. I haven't read this one, but it was recommended on the site by one of our rioters. And it looks like so much fun. And the illustrations are gorgeous. It is about two cousins, Otto and Sheed, who live in Virginia and are like local sleuths, like a little bit Harriet the Spy. Um, And they are, you know, facing down the end of summer and they're going to have to go back to school and they kind of don't want to. And then they figure out how to freeze time to make summer last forever. But that actually turns out to be not a good idea. Surprise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And there are robots and time travel and magic mirrors and, you know, little fun family adventures. And it just sounds like a total romp. And I've really loved everything else that I've ever read by Lamar Giles. So I feel very comfortable recommending this one to you. And yeah, you know, these, these are the chapter books that are sort of designed to be transitional because they do have you know, amazing illustrations. And it is 300 pages long. So like, it's not super short. But you know, again, patience and fast moving plot, you'll come back to it. So again, that is The Last Last Day of Summer by Lamar Giles. Okay, our next question is from Chantel, who says, I recently bought a house and have been finding longer books really hard to finish. um, Slash my motivation to read is lacking. It took three months to read The Way of Kings. I'm asking for short books under 300 pages. Some I've enjoyed previously are The Murderbot Diaries, Wayward Children, and The Collector series. I already have The Deep on my TBR. I would read almost any genre, including nonfiction, but prefer something either shocking or whimsical slash magical. If I can buy a physical copy to support the author, that would be a bonus too. 
Okay, I picked The Black God's Drums by P. Jelly Clark, which we've talked about on the show before. Um, it's a tour.com novella, which you can go out and like buy a physical copy of. And really, I mean, you've already read some of those. The Murderbot Diaries are novellas from tour. Any novella that, that tour puts out, I think, would fit this question because they're all speculative fiction. So they all have some kind of like otherworldly or sci-fi futuristic element that I think you would enjoy. And they're all short because novellas are short. That's how novellas work. Um, and this one is a really fast and engaging read. So if you're having trouble, like your reading mojo is gone, I think this is a good one to pick it back up again. Um, it's about a teenager named Creeper who lives in New Orleans, and it's an alternate, what's the word? Alternate universe? Alternate history. Lordy, I can't find words today. It's an alternate history, um, very steampunk airship kind of a thing. She lives in New Orleans. It's during the Civil War. And her, she's a um, like a pickpocket just kind of street kid like trying to survive and she what she wants to do is join an airship crew specifically the midnight robber and become a smuggler and like get out of new orleans and like live you know a life that doesn't involve picking pockets and being on the street and like conning strangers um and so she's like fixated on this captain her name is captain Anne marie and she is trying to figure out a way to get on her ship and she figures out a way and that is by accidentally overhearing a plot that the confederacy is um drumming up that involves a kidnaptation scientist and they're going to take the scientist and use his knowledge to create this big um, terrifying weapon that they can use called the black god's drum so she's taking that knowledge she's taking it to the smuggler um, to say like let me on your you know let me into your crew and i'll i'll give you this um kind of big prize of like secrets and military espionage and all that kind of stuff um but the subplot or like the other big thing that's happening here is that creeper is holding a god inside of her, Oya, who's a, the African Orisha of the wind and of storms and who like speaks to Creeper and also sometimes makes Creeper pass out and like she has visions and all of that. And the more time that she spends with this captain, the stronger this voice gets and the more control the girl loses over herself. And so all of that stuff is intertwined. Um, the presence of Oya inside of her, whatever's happening with the captain and the kidnapped scientist from Haiti, all of it is connected. And you find out how pretty fast because it's a novella and it's only like 100 pages, but it's super fun. So that's The Black God's Drums by P. Jellycork. That book is so good. It's so great. So, <laughs> so much great. fun. Just a delight. I picked a short story collection that, I mean, obviously individually short stories are short, but the whole collection <laughs> is only like 200 something pages. It's Falling in Love with Hominids by Nalo Hopkinson. And one of the stories does have a sexual assault, just FYI. This collection is so good because it does sort of skirt some like just like edging towards horror lines and they're all fantastical and Nalo Hopkinson is uh from Jamaica who and she lives in Canada and her stories are very influenced by Afro-Caribbean folklore and it's just so good. I mean, the stories in here, they're so much fun because they're things like, you know, a teenager is going to a house party or an older gay couple is having one of their sons over for dinner or like somebody's on vacation somewhere. But then everything takes a hard turn to the left and suddenly there are like, you know, chickens that breathe fire or like spirits in the shopping mall or, you know, a creature that's eating children or, you know, like some kind of mermaid situation. It's really... So good. And every story is so unexpected. They definitely keep you hooked in. 
And, you know, some of them are like a little bit gory, but, you know, you wanted shocking. So I feel like that counts. And all of them are just like a perfect capsule of a story. Like they are, they're exactly as long as they need to be. The characters are so compelling. The imagery will stay with you. I just love this collection so, so, so much. It's so good. So again, that's Falling in Love with Hominids by Nalo Hopkinson. And our last question is from Harmony, who says, As any other 20-year-old girl today, technology takes up a lot of my time and energy. Over the last two years or so, I feel like I've grown somewhat addicted to stimulus. I can't remember the last time I felt bored, as I'm always listening to slash reading slash watching something, and the feeling of just doing something without distractions has become so uncomfortable to me. This has taken a really big toll on my ability to do the things I'm passionate about doing, such as writing and making music. I'd like a book that would help me fix this problem. I've read books about mindfulness and disconnecting, but they seem very focused on explaining why those things are important rather than something that will actually help me get out of this habit. So I'm looking for something that will actually help me feel comfortable with the quiet again and to stop constantly craving distraction, something with actual tips or instructions on how to enjoy slower, less stimulating activities when living in a world where entertainment is a click away. Oh, such a good question. Mm -hmm. Amanda, what you got? Uh, I picked Indistractable by Nir Eyal, and Nir Eyal is a, uh, well, he's an author, but he was also like a Silicon Valley dude, and he wrote a book five or six years ago called Hooked, which was about how, like, was a book for tech people about how to develop addictive apps. So he knows of what he speaks. Um, And he found himself right before he wrote Indistractable, which is a pretty recent book. It came out in 2019 falling like victim to his own shenanigans like he realized that he was um, caught up in the never-ending scrolling and was missing important moments with his children because he was always looking at his phone and all of that um so he kind of works backwards from the book that he wrote hooked about how to create addictive apps and um deconstructs it and then works forward with how to break that cycle from there. So he knows exactly what it is about your phone and what it is about the apps in your phone that makes you continue to come back and keeps you from being able to sit in silence um, and experience boredom. And so this is a very practical book about how to do that. Like there's a lot about how to set up your phone um, specifically, like how to turn off the notifications, how the apps, um, like what specific notifications are designed to keep you coming back and how to change those. Like it's very technical and practical. Um, And that is kind of what I appreciated about it because when I read it, I was in very much the same boat as you. Like I know that doing this, that like being addicted to your phone or constantly being in your phone or using your phone as a distraction um, because you're not comfortable with silence is not great, but like I don't know because I'm I'm not a Silicon Valley billionaire, so like I don't have the resources to know how to get myself out of that. And I think people feel a lot of guilt about that, even though we're doing exactly what these like very rich people have designed these devices to do. Um, so having one of those very rich people who's designed these devices <laughs> tell you how to not do that anymore um, in very practical step by step ways that are accessible to anyone who can afford an iPhone, because that's the thing that you're you know battling with in the first place, uh, was really helpful. So that's indistractable. How to control your attention and choose your life by near a y'all i'm gonna get on like a little mindfulness soapbox for a second (laughs) (laughs) i really highly recommend i mean i have a book pick for you but i also really highly recommend doing like one of the free trial runs of maybe calm or the headspace apps because 
The thing about mindfulness, as I've learned it, is it's not about, I think there's a perception that it's about having like no thoughts at all. Like you just sit there and your mind is blank and nothing's going on and you've achieved like total Zen. And, you know, that there is, that is a kind of meditation. But the kind of meditation that Calmer Headspace teaches you is actually just to like be aware of your thoughts. Like you're not trying to stop them. You're just sort of stepping back enough to see them as something separate from yourself. And I think so much of what happens when we get super hooked into, you know, constantly having input is that we have no space in our brains. And getting just that little bit of space is so helpful because then you can notice when you're just diving right back into the distraction. And then you can like make a choice because so often it's hard to have enough space to make a conscious choice. You're just not even conscious that you're doing it. So that's that's my little pitch for Calmer Headspace um, or a similar app that takes you through like, you know, you start with three minutes and you're just paying attention to your brain. Like that's all you're doing. It's fine. Um, my book pick for you is Bored and Brilliant by Manush Zamarati because this has not only does it have lots of research, like you said, about, you know, why it's important to get that space, but also there's like a multi week step by step like first you start with tracking how much you're using your phone and what things you're using and then you start to break down like how do you build space how do you build you know better habits around that use how do you turn off the notifications etc cetera, etc cetera. and it's all based on this huge um experiment that Zamorati did on the radio show Note to Self that led like, you know, literally thousands of listeners through these steps to help them unplug from their devices. And so it's like tested, it's proven, it works. I've done it. I think pretty much everybody at Book Riot did this book and found it super helpful. And it's just little habits. Like the thing that I started doing after reading this book that I still do to this day is when I'm on a, sh I take public transit a lot. And when I'm on a short trip, like, you know, half an hour or less, I don't look at anything. I don't read a book. I don't look at my phone. I just sit there and like look around. Like that's what I do when I'm on the train for less than 30 minutes. And it's been like a, a game changer. And sometimes I forget that that's what I'm doing and I like reach for my phone. But then I'm like, oh, right, I'm on the train. I'm not looking at that. Like it's, it's, it's a practice. It takes work to break that habit. But it's kind of amazing that once you start to do it in one specific place, it bleeds over into other areas of your life. So changing one or two little things will then help you change other things down the road. And again, Bored and Brilliant has really good like step-by-step, week-by-week instructions for, you know, getting you into a place where you can make better conscious choices about how you're distracting yourself. So again, that's Bored and Brilliant by Manoush Zamarati. And that's our show. Huzzah. Huzzah. Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to our sponsors for sponsoring the show. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Instagram also as I am Jen IRL. That's J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL. And we will talk to you all next week. 